I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried, who descended to the dead. But on the third day, he rose again. Amen. And he ascended into heaven. And he is seated, come on, at the right hand of God. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Let's give God praise for that tonight. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. You know, in a lot of church traditions, over the last 1,700 years, over a billion Christians in the world, many of them, week after week after week, declare this creed, this statement of faith. But oftentimes, like anything, things can become so empty. But when you declare a true statement from a heart that's been transformed by a reality, there's something to that. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Many people believe that, but as we declare this creed and declare today that Jesus is alive, it's more than just something that we believe. We have experienced the power of the resurrected Jesus who is alive right now, sustaining us moment by moment, moment, giving us his spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in those lives who believe. And so this is so much more than just mentally believing in something that's true. While it's true, we have experienced the resurrection of Jesus and are experiencing it even in this moment, which is quite profound. You see, because Jesus is alive right now in this moment. And in this moment in 2023, Jesus is still sending his Holy Spirit, and frankly, with one major job. He does lots of different things. But one of the Holy Spirit's number one jobs is to convince people in the depth of their heart that this story written in the pages of Scripture is actually true. It's why Paul said in his letter, I don't come with persuasive words or elegant talk, but demonstration of God's power. My prayer tonight is that if you're here tonight and you have questions about this Christianity business, you have a hard time believing in the resurrected Jesus, my prayer is not that my persuasive words would convince you. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convince you in the depth of your heart that this business about this man named Jesus who rose again from the dead 
is more than just a myth. It's more than just a nice story, but it actually happened and it means everything for your life. We look again in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. On Good Friday, we celebrated his suffering, death, and burial. And we're going to look into that passage of Scripture again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. This is what the Bible says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died with, for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Amen? Amen? That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Amen? Amen? And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, eyewitness accounts, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James... Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is giving a description of specific people that had eyewitness testimony to the fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And not just people that believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, but people's lives that were totally altered and transformed by the resurrected Jesus. One thing I'll mention here is that one of the misconceptions people get about Christianity is that this business about the Christian faith and Jesus living 2,000 years ago and rising from the dead, people think you have to turn your brain off to become a Christian. But I stand here with so much confidence that I don't have to do that, for one. But the historical evidence for the resurrected Jesus is incredible. Like, you do not have to turn your brain off to believe in Jesus. You can believe in your mind, in your heart. There's logical evidences for the resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to get into here tonight. But a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this, we camp out at the cross of Jesus a whole lot. And that's really important. But sometimes we camp out at the cross and don't think about the resurrection of Jesus. We can't vote at the cross because it's at the cross where our brokenness and our sin and our dysfunction and all of our problems, we look at the cross and we see Jesus hanging there with all the sin of the world, all my sin and your sin, and we're like, man, we see mercy and we see grace and we see a suffering servant dying for our healing and restoration, and we're like, man, I need so much of that. And the cross is the start of the pathway for many of us on this journey of healing and restoration. But it's just the beginning. It's the resurrection that gives us the hope of living a transformed life. It's the resurrection that gives us the power to be freed from the power of sin and death. And most people that study history or reject or are cynical or skeptical towards Christianity... Even historians, they don't question the death of Jesus. Non-Christian historians say, a man, Jesus of Nazareth, was crucified. It's not the death of Jesus that people take exception to. You know what people take exception to? The fact that they say that this man, who was dead for three days, 
actually came back to life. That's what people take exception to. And frankly, even some Christians wrestle with that. They kind of explain away the resurrection. It wasn't really a physical resurrection from the dead. It was kind of just like a spiritual experience. Very 2023-ish. Just simply not true. Jesus, the Christian faith claims, whether you believe it or not, the Christian faith proclaims not that it was just some spiritual, nice, goosebumpily feeling when Jesus resurrected. He was dead physically. The blood and water flowed, and Jesus came back to life after being dead. That's what the Christian faith believes. And not just believes, but this is the faith that we, we give our life to that truth and reality. Today, I'd like to give you three reasons why we believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Y'all ready for this? Okay, I got five of you. Awesome. I got my work cut out for me. All right, help, help, help me here, Lord. Help me. The first reason why we can believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead is the tomb was empty. The Bible says that the women came running to the tomb and they heard an earthquake <laughs> and an angel had rolled the stone away. And as they went in to look in the tomb, the angel had a few words for the, these ladies and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He ain't here. He is risen. And the Bible teaches us that the women went back and told the disciples and they booked it. John beat Peter in a race, okay, a matter of fact. But John let Peter go in first because he was the more spiritual one. And they look in, and the, not, not just the women, the men see this empty tomb. And because of that, we believe that Jesus actually resurrected from the dead. The tomb was empty. But over time, people have tried to deny the fact that the tomb was empty. And here are some different arguments people have given over the last 2,000 years about saying the tomb wasn't really empty. The first argument actually is a more recent one. Back in the mid-1990s, there was this New Testament scholar who clearly doesn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. You know, that exists. There's people that study the New Testament and teach it for a living but don't believe it. <laughs> Figure that one out. It's true. But there was this New Testament scholar in the 1990s that said, actually, Jesus, in all probability, wasn't even buried in the first place. Actually, the idea is that maybe he was thrown in a ditch. But Craig Evans, a very reputable New Testament scholar, his response to this argument was, there is not, in fact, one shred of evidence from antiquity, from ancient times, that suggests that Jesus was not buried, which, it makes, which makes all the more curious how these ideas and rumors persist. Not one shred of evidence. Jesus was, in fact, buried. That's one argument people say about not having an empty tomb. The second argument is that Jesus actually didn't die. He kind of passed out on the cross, and they put him in the tomb, and then a couple hours later, or a day or two later, he actually came back too. 
right? And he found a way to like get all the grave clothes off of him that were wrapped, he was wrapped in, found a way to move the multiple hundred pound stone, slip by the guard that was guards that were guarding the tomb, and then make his way around while not being identified as someone that needed some serious medical attention. Okay, come on. Really? He didn't die? Romans were experts at crucifixion. They knew how to kill people. He was dead. And if you weren't here for Good Friday... Derek Langell did a phenomenal job explaining about the blood and water that flowed when the soldier pierced Jesus' side that talked about how it proved. And John, John the apostle said, <laughs> if you read the account in John's, go ahead and do that. This will help you. If you read John's account, he said, he uses the first person, which he doesn't use it a lot in the gospel. John said, I have seen this, and I am the one writing this right now. I've seen it with my own eyes, the blood and the water separate, which proved that Jesus actually did die. So much for that argument. The third argument is that somehow he got put in the wrong tomb. This guy named Kersop Lake in 1900s put this argument that they knew their master was buried. They just didn't know what tomb. Now, many of us have loved ones that have passed on. Do you all know where they were buried? Exactly. Now, the disciples, both men and women, were deeply saddened by the fact that Jesus died. But they weren't delusional. Craig Evans goes on to say, there's no explanation for how the disciples could be so inept to not know where Jesus was buried. And matter of fact, we sang about tonight, they laid him down in whose tomb? Joseph. He was a rich man. He paid a lot of money for this tomb. You figure he knew where it was at? Listen, if you pay a lot of money for something, do you know where it's to? Yeah. Joseph knew where the tomb was. So that argument doesn't stack up. And then probably the most popular argument, because it has its sentiments in Scripture, is that the disciples actually stole the body. They kind of somehow found a way to get around the soldiers who were guarding the tomb, sneak in there, roll the stone away, take Jesus' body that was dead, and they carried this lie around that Jesus resurrected from the dead to their death, by the way. And not like old age death, except for John. Ten of the disciples were killed because they believed the lie that Jesus resurrected from the dead. That was, that's the other theory. Probably the most popular one against this idea that the tomb was actually empty from a resurrected Jesus. First of all, it doesn't explain how on earth these disciples would have gotten around these guards who were posted there by order and who if allowed the body to be stolen, could have been killed, and who were ordered to make sure that this grieving of this criminal stayed private as was custom in early first century times. This could not be a public grieving because he was a criminal. So it doesn't explain that. And probably the strongest argument against this idea 
is that would those 10 disciples be willing to die for a lie? Peter was crucified upside down because he believed in the resurrected Jesus. Paul was beheaded. James was killed in Acts chapter 12. Would these people be willing to die for a lie? Or Jim Elliott in the 1900s, here more recently, going to a tribe in Ecuador with his four missionary friends, sharing the gospel of Jesus, and were killed for believing in the resurrected Christ. And for the thousands and thousands of Christians over the last 2,000 years that were willing to be put to death because they believed in the resurrected Jesus. To me, all those arguments just break down. And it brings us to the logical conclusion that Jesus actually did. He rose from the dead. And not only did he rise from the dead, but the Bible teaches us that there were eyewitnesses. He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to 12, that's 13 we got now, then to 500 more, that's 513. All right, you tracking me so far? Keeping the math with me? Then he appeared to James, that's five, what, 14, right? Am I doing my math right? Okay, just checking. Then to all the apostles, so you got to add like, what, eight more, Count, counting the ones that are already here. What are we at now? 522, and to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. 523, just in this passage of scripture, people had eyewitness accounts of seeing the resurrected Jesus. So what conclusion can we come to based on that? Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And here's the kicker. The Holy Spirit, who is in this room tonight, convinces us in the depth of our heart that this account written in scripture is actually true. You don't have to worry about drinking the Kool-Aid or being moved emotionally. God himself will convince you that this is true. Paul wrote in one of his letters, I'm sure God himself will show you of these things. The Holy Spirit has no problem convincing you that this account that I'm telling you here tonight is actually true. Jesus did rise from the dead. So the empty tomb is the first defense. The second defense is the explosive growth of Christianity. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit that will come upon you and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus ascended before their very eyes. And the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 2, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and the church was born and Jesus filled the church with God's passion and God's power, enabling them to go out with boldness and declare that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And that's exactly what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up, who had no backbone before, who denied Jesus three times, gets up and boldly proclaims, this Jesus who you crucified is now both Lord and Savior, and he commands all people everywhere to repent from their sins and turn and receive forgiveness that times of refreshing might come from the Holy Spirit. And not only do they preach this message about the resurrected Jesus, they perform signs, wonders, and miracles that are written down by Dr. Luke himself. 
and the signs, wonders, and miracles was God's attestation, God's confirmation that the message that these apostles were preaching about the resurrected Jesus was actually true. That people could actually put their trust in this account, this good news. Well, the religious leaders didn't like that very much. They were losing their following. So they apprehended and put Peter and John in custody. And they had a yarn with them. And they said, you don't do that no more. You don't go preaching about this Jesus. You put the stop to that right now. And they were like, yeah, we can't obey you because our first obligation is to obey God. So what happens in the very next chapter? They be preaching again. <laughs> preaching specifically, if you read Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, specifically Peter says, the resurrected Jesus. And so what do they do again? They put him in custody. Time two. And they meet as a council, and they're trying to figure out what to do with these bunch of hooligans that are going around talking about this Jesus, this king. And they want to kill him. They want to kill Peter and John. But then this wise leader, this Pharisee named Gamaliel, speaks up and says, don't you all remember this one time? There was this guy named Thutis who rose up. He had a following, but he died. And so did the movement shortly after that. Oh, and this guy named Judas of Galilee, not Judas Iscariot, but this guy named Judas, he rose up, had quite the following, had quite the movement going on. But after he died, so did the movement. Then Gamaliel goes on to say, if this movement is a movement for man, it will stop. But, he goes on to say, if this movement is a movement of God, you might find yourself opposing God himself. And so they agreed to release the apostles. And Gamaliel was right. And for the last 2,000 years, the gospel of this resurrected Jesus has spread throughout the entire world. And over 1 billion people this day in 2023 believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. If you read through the rest of the book of Acts, persecution didn't stop the church. As a matter of fact, when persecution came, you know what happened? It drove the church out of Jerusalem into the four corners of the world. They began to be scattered because they were being persecuted, but it kind of like the people that were doing the persecution, it was kind of counteractive. It was kind of, uh, it, it, it did something that they didn't want to happen. Them persecuting the church, spread the church out throughout the whole world, and guess what they took with them when they had to spread out? <laughs> the message. They started going to all these other countries sharing the good news that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And in 300 years, the Roman Empire had all heard about this resurrected Jesus. And here we are in 2023 with over a billion people who believe in this Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's pretty amazing what God has done. Christianity should never have worked what we have written here is in one, in the New Testament, is one lifespan. 
of written accounts and stories. It never should have made it past the first century unless Jesus rose from the dead. So explain to me, explain to me the birth and growth of the church in the last 2,000 years without the resurrection of Jesus. The only reason we have the church is because Jesus rose again from the dead. He's alive right now, and he's still pouring out the Holy Spirit. And last time I checked, the church is not dead. Amen? Last time I checked here in Barrington in 2023 at Coastal Church, we just had two back-to-back full services. Amen? And down the road at Yarmouth Wesleyan, they had close to 600 people there, 90 people at South Church. And places all over the world today are celebrating this resurrected Jesus. People have tried to stop the move of God through the church by the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. You cannot stop God. And you cannot stop the church. Why? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is flowing in the veins of the church. It's flowing in you and me giving us the power to live our lives for God and testify that he's real, that he's alive, and that he lives inside of us. Amen? That's the second thing. The third point of arguing for the resurrection of Jesus is not just the church and the billion of people. To me, and this is the part probably I love the most. Sorry, Siri. It's the stories. She didn't get it. We'll get her saved later. It's the stories. Sure, we love the one billion people that confess the name of Jesus today, but the part that when I'm worshiping over here at the chair and I'm praising Jesus and blessing him and expressing my love and adoration to him, the thing that even in this moment stirs my heart with passion and joy is the fact that Jesus, through his resurrection, actually changes lives. You know, in this passage in Corinthians, he, mess, he mentions some of those changed lives, like Peter. This impulsive dude that Jesus saw something in, who actually betrayed Jesus three times when he was questioned about, do you know this man? No, I don't know this man. Three times. No backbone. Was ashamed to be associated with Jesus. After he's filled with the Holy Spirit and experienced the resurrection of Christ, is willing to die. Matter of fact, tradition teaches us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus. No word of a lie. What happened? What happened to make this man who was spineless willing to die a terrible death for this truth? Or James, Jesus' half-brother, who in the scriptures teach us that he didn't believe in Jesus. Many of his brothers didn't believe in him. They're like, our brother? The Messiah? Pfft, no way. We know what he's like. Didn't believe. Or James, brother of John, who, like Peter, when they came in Gethsemane, fled, like all the other disciples. Post-resurrection of Jesus, 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And the other James, John's brother, in Acts chapter 12, is killed by Herod for believing in the resurrection of Christ. What happened to these men and these women that their lives were so dramatically transformed they were willing to give up their life for this account? You know what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. And to them, that was everything. They had this hope that went beyond this life and the life to come. They knew that, that, that this life wasn't the end, that Jesus would come again to judge the living and the dead, would resurrect them. And so they were willing to give their life for the sake of the gospel. They counted a privilege to be martyred for their faith. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make sense to me, that over the last 2,000 years, Thousands and thousands and thousands of people would die for a lie or be so transformed by this story to be so changed. And there's stories in this room of how Jesus brought us from death to life. I think of my own story and how I was once dead in my sin and my brokenness. And the Holy Spirit, not man, not this weird drinking the Kool-Aid business, but the Holy Spirit, God himself, convinced me that this account about Jesus 2,000 years ago was actually true. Jesus lived. He performed miracle signs and wonders. He suffered and died on a cross, and he rose again from the dead. And that by believing in this true account, I could receive forgiveness for all the things I've done wrong, and God could bring me from death to life. And I want to tell you today that the joy and freedom and purity and peace and all the good things that God has given me, it's all because of Jesus. That's why I love Resurrection Sunday. is because we get to give glory back to God for bringing us from death to life. My life has never been the same. I wish y'all had seen me before I became a Christian. I look like death, a drug addict, hopeless and purposeless. But man, when the Holy Spirit breathed his life inside of me, oh man, he changed everything. And there's stories in this room where you were like me, dead. And you cried out to God. And God cried out to you, called you by name. And you had that moment of putting your faith in Jesus. And he breathed his life into your being. And you were convinced and gripped in your heart of hearts that this story about Jesus is more than just a story. It's true. It happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And he breathed his resurrection life into your being. And he changed everything. Are there stories in this room with that? Come on. It's such a joy to be your pastor. One of the favorite things I get to do is get to watch God change lives. Come on, like, it doesn't get any better than that. And as I look around the room and I look, none of y'all are perfect just like me. Peter and Paul and James weren't perfect after Jesus transformed their life, but there was no question, they were different dudes. And let me tell you something here tonight. Those of you in this room, you're different dudes. Ladies who've experienced Jesus, you're different. God has 
change your life. It's undeniable. Y'all know that. You know people in this room that have been so distinctly changed and while they're not perfect, the proof is in the pudding. You know that something genuine has happened. That's not been a work of humanity. That's not been a work of logic. That's not been a work of good works. God himself has transformed lives in this room. And it's why we give our lives and we'll never grow tired of boldly proclaiming our belief. Tonight, I gotta ask you a question. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, (laughs) maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Do you believe he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? Do you believe he descended to the dead? Do you believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven? Do you believe he sits at the right hand of God the Father? Do you believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead? Do you believe that tonight? Maybe tonight, this Easter 2023, is that moment for you. That moment for the very first time where the Holy Spirit, not man, not my persuasive words, God himself has convinced you in your heart of hearts It's true. It's all true. And maybe today's the moment when you put your trust in Jesus, just like so many of us in this room, and you make that step from death to life. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me?